leader of the Players Union, and also for this show, very important, former big leaguer who did some damage for a long time. Tony Clark is joining us right now on FT Live. Tony, how you doing? How you been? And how's your schedule this week? Hectic. Yeah. Hectic, but good, but good. This is it's one of those periods of time where you're, you're, you're glad to take a break during the middle of the season as a player, and you come to these and you realize you're running around with your head cut off for a bit around a home run derby and around a game, but, but it's nice to have the entire baseball world, at least a lot of them, all in the same place at the same time. Really mm -hmm. nice. And the schedule we were talking about earlier for the players, too, is yep. wild. Because sometimes people will be like, you know, there's the discussion of, oh, did the home run derby, you know, mess up a dude's swing or something? It's like, also, he's running around like crazy yep. over a few days span, and then the season starts up again. Well, we got to a point where a lot of what the guys do during the time that they're here, we, we had to literally negotiate for the reason that you just mentioned. Guys would get to the game, and all the things that they had going on realized that there was no time to actually enjoy the festivities with their families who are, are, are largely here. And so really had to drill down on a lot of the particulars and things that they were being asked for and about to do while they were here uh, and, and move it into a place where, yeah, they've got some responsibilities. Obviously, it's the Midsummer Classic and you're marketing and promoting the game in, in that fashion, but you've earned the right to be an all-star and enjoy everything uh, uh, around the, the, the ballpark and, and, and on the field with your family. So we balance it as best we can, but the guys do run around with their heads cut off too. Mm -hmm. That sucks, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you want to be able to enjoy it. The whole yeah. point of this is to be able to enjoy it. That's right. And the ballpark's the enjoyable part then, no? No, but even at the ballpark, you have to do, you know, it's, it's chaotic. Yeah. you have it's, to sign 10 million things. You have to do this. It's a rush. you got to do this. You're running around. Yep. There's a million things going on, and then you get to the game, and you're exhausted, and you're like, gosh, and i got to go try and get a hit off some dude throwing 100. It's just, <laughs> it's so much. And we've talked about longer All-Star break or doing yeah. something different. Yeah. But a lot of the guys, you go to the All-Star game, that's why you see so many guys declining because they're like, man, I don't need that. I don't need to, especially, and Seattle's great, love the city, yep. love the ballpark. But if you're, if you're like a Tampa Bay Ray, you got to fly Seattle, fly back to Tampa where, you know, because they have their workout when they have to meet with the team to fly to wherever they're going. You never get that, I don't want to call it a vacation, but you get a that break that you It's need. a vacation. Yeah, yeah look, Lance Lynn was on the other day. We're like, what are you doing? He's like, four days, boat, don't talk to me, chilling. Yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. Well, to your point about the travel, we had to negotiate that too into the schedule because yeah, guys were, were leaving games on the, on the East Coast, if we're in, say we're in Seattle. Guys were leaving games on the East Coast late, arriving five, six, seven o'clock in the morning, and then having responsibilities when they, had, they got here that afternoon. So a lot of the schedule itself had to be adjusted and tweaked to try to get guys in at a decent time to where they got some rest. So to your point, by the time they got done with the All-Star Game facility, they didn't need an additional day or two <laughs> or three uh, to, to catch back up before the start of the second half. So yeah, I had to work through all that. Isn't that, isn't that petty that they don't like understand these are humans and like, hey, <laughs> we're getting in. <laughs> like, you don't just not sleep. You don't just like, isn't that petty? Come on, Tony. Like, it, it, there's a miss, there's a miss, but the idea that we have to have those conversations is, is a constant reminder that a lot of the decision making on the other side of the street isn't focused in on the player experience and, and, and what it is or might mean to a player coming out of the break, knowing that if you don't get that rest, what that may, may mean from an injury standpoint. And so, yeah, we have to have those conversations constantly. But without, but without the player, all we're looking at is some <laughs> immaculate grass. Yeah. Like I'm talking the grass, you were out on the field, that grass is awesome. Yeah. Nobody's packing the stadium to see the grass no. grow. No. 
And, and that's why we're able to work through some of the challenges that we have, <laughs> because at the end of the day, the guys have to be in a good space to do what they do. They're the best in the world at what they do, and they mm -hmm. have to be put in the best position possible to do it. When you see the All-Stars here, because the best players in the sport are here, what are some of them saying to you? Like when you say hi to them, do some of them go right to, hey, uh, can you help me out with this? Or can we <laughs> fix a rule here? Or do they ask you for advice? Or is it just more of like, how's life going? You know, what kind of conversations do you have when you come across the They really players? run the gamut. I mean, look, the, the guys have earned this opportunity. More often than not, I'm around. I'm available if the guys want to talk. If they don't, I'm good with that. Uh, I don't ever get up on the cage. Uh, I, I know when I played, having, having folks up on the cage when I'm trying to prep and work, I'm not a big fan of. I was mm -hmm. that guy, a little obsessive compulsive that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm around, our staff is around. So if guys need anything or their families need anything, we're available to provide that support. And so yes, the conversations range from how you doing to where's the best spot to grab a bite to eat because I want to disappear for a little bit to hey, I'd like to get my, my wife and my kids down for a, a shot you know, on the field. Can, can we help facilitate it? All of those things come up. Otherwise, we just try to give the guys their space and let them enjoy the festivities. Mm -hmm. How do you think the draft from an entertainment perspective went the other day? You know, we had the MLB draft, it's mm -hmm. here. Do you like the timing? And I've been, one of my big things I've been calling for is like, I want to see draft pick trades because I think it would be entertaining for the mm -hmm. sport. And I know that a lot of people have written about it and talked about it. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Well, I don't know how far down that rabbit hole you want to go, but we can, we can go. Yeah. Um, we have proposed that on multiple occasions. Uh, for, for us, the, uh, the ability to trade draft picks is a part of the, the competition dynamic. If a team wants to trade its draft pick and add a veteran player or cash or something that they believe can help their team now, as opposed to a player that might get there at some point in time, they should have the ability to do that. And so we've felt like that and have proposed that going back, I don't know how many different CBAs, and it's never been an interest from the other side to, to have that as a part of the conversation. And look, I, I said it this morning, I've said it on the record before, even though I was drafted, I'm not a big draft guy. I, I maybe it's just because, you know, Kurt Flood is constantly pumping through my veins, <laughs> but the, the, ability, the ability for a player to enter our system unrestricted such that wherever he may want to go, whatever team he may want to play with, or whatever team may want him, that there's a way to, to navigate that type of system versus you have zero control from day one over where you go and how you enter the system. It's, I, I feel some kind of way about that. So putting that to the side, because at this point we're not, <laughs> not going to blow up the, the draft, um, our draft versus some of the other leagues, the dynamic's just a little bit different. You know, our, our, our system is set up, and, and rightly so, that when you, you get drafted, it's going to take some time before we may see you uh, uh, at the big league level. Not everybody, but a lot of those guys. Um, some of the other leagues, you'll see them on Sunday or you'll see them in the, in, on the hard court pretty immediately. So it, it's, it's a little different dynamic, and I understand wholeheartedly and appreciate that as a player, you're, you're, you're wanting to fulfill your dream of playing professionally. I get all of that. Um, but the timing, look, my, my son plays in college gone through the, the, the youth system and, and as many conversations as I've had with the amateur sector, appreciate that the timing is not ideal uh, for all the reasons that many folks know, but we can go down that road too. So a lot of moving pieces there. I understand wanting to make an event, I truly do. And I understand the excitement around the next generation of players entering our system. I get that too. Um, but there are some challenges associated with some things that I would otherwise change or adjust. And, and I say all that truly not being a big fan of the draft in general. How do we stop tanking? 
How do we stop teams from? Sh- I know mm. they put the lottery in, but they're still o- Oakland, right? They're they're not trying. You can't you can't look me in the face and say the Oakland A's ownership is trying this year. Even even Kansas City, they, I mean, they're somewhat trying, but they're not on the same level as Oakland. But mm. Oakland's not trying this year, and and then they'll say, well, we can get a better draft pick, and then they say, well, we'll put the lottery in, like the NBA has it, right? Where teams just Mark Cuban this year said we don't want to go to the playoffs. We want to lose. So we get a better draft pick. How do we stop that? Because And how do we make every team, mm. I don't want to say have to be competitive, but at least try to be competitive? Because as a fan base, if I'm an Oakland A's fan, I'm pissed. Obviously, they are. Well, yeah. other stuff, right? But right. even a Pittsburgh Pirates, the owner's like, well, we're not going to spend because Ever. I can Ever. make more money by not spending. As a fan of those teams, I'm pissed. A lot of what we attempted to do at the bargaining table the last round was focused in on that. We had, we had gotten into a world where a team didn't have to be successful to be very profitable. And we've always believed that in a market system in particular, the, the, the best way for a team to realize value moving forward is to put the best product they can on the field. The best product's going to include the best players you possibly can. And that's going to bring fans to the ballpark and excitement around the city uh, and, and thus benefit the ball club and benefit the other 29 teams as a result of, of being uh, competitive. And so it's unfortunate that we had to bring that to the table, the last round of bargaining. We, we did. Um, some things stuck. You mentioned the lottery. That's, that's one of them. A little, a little uncertainty around, I'm just going to lose as many games as possible so I can get the highest pick possible. Some uncertainty there. And you saw a team that actually moved as a result of, of the system. Not perfect, not ideal, not where we started but in an effort to get a deal done, found a landing place that, that at least raised the concern and brought in some uncertainty. But there are a lot of moving pieces in our system that we thought if they could be addressed would also be helpful to that conversation. Because you, you, want, you want all 30 teams starting the year believing, hey, my team did certain things to help put us in a position to be successful. And there, there are a number of ways to do that. It all comes down to having good players on the field. It'll always come down to that. Um, but we tried to interject things into the system that would help. And a lot of them, unfortunately, the other side wasn't as interested in uh, or willing to engage on. So made some, some progress, not as much as we would like. Still have some concerns. You mentioned, mentioned Oakland. We track and keep an eye on all that, all with an eye on knowing that if, if the industry itself is, is in a position where, where coming to the ballpark, starting the season, teams are putting their best foot forward, Everybody benefits from it. And that's for the sport also. Everyone should be like, yeah, we want the best entertainment product on the field. Yeah. The fact that you have to be like saying, hey, don't we all want this right, guys, is, is weird, honestly. It's, it's, and I shared this at a, at a, at a, at a sit down this morning. Um, unlike some of the other sports, there's not necessarily a straight line in ours. Yes, you need good players. It'll, it'll start and, and often stop there. But our game is, is, is an interesting one where you can win games a number of different ways with a number of different skill sets. And it's one of the things that makes our game beautiful. Now, we've, we've, we've entered a, a phase in a period of time where they're trying to clone us and make us all the same, whether it's on the bump or whether it's in the box. That dynamic's not ideal. Um, but if we ever get to a place where, and, and I don't mean to sound like a romantic, or I definitely don't mean to sound old despite the color of my beard, <laughs> there are, are skill sets and things that, that different players can bring to the ballpark at any given time to help you win a game that night. 
And so if, if and when it can become a broader part of the conversation, meaning different ways to win, win, win ball games, you'll see a lineup one through nine that has different skill sets that allows you to win on any given night, as opposed to what we've seen a lot of over the course of the last five, six, seven years, which is the same approach, number one through nine, all with an eye on the three true outcomes. That dynamic is just not, I don't think, really good for our game. It doesn't speak to the, the beauty of what our game is and has always been. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you from the entertainment side that is important to us, because we've had, we've been on for four months, we've had 120 player guest interviews and conversations on this show. Everyone besides me played in the bigs. So how do we continue to, <laughs> well, I'll it. say it because otherwise AJ would. So I, I <laughs> take away AJ his one-liners. Over under two and a half times a show. Yes, I got you. So I just well, took away his every time when I was right. playing, I know. <laughs> I never have I knew said what that. It was. <laughs> I never have said that. When I was getting hits, you know. <laughs> anyway, most importantly, we know because we're around players for years how fun, entertaining they are. Not just what they're doing on yep. the field, but conversations with them. And and we point to like we talked about basketball. Like even when there's drama, there's good drama. If a player is wants to get traded to a team, be on a better team, like those kind of things, they pump that up, right? Those storylines. And also when they talk to players, just getting real conversations. We had Trout on the other day and it was the best I've ever heard some of his answers talking to us about velocity in the game, how he's recruiting or trying to keep Otani, all those mm. kind of combos. That's good for our game. Right. How do we get more of that? And it's the broad question of marketing our sport through the talent of mm. our sport. The marketing of our sport has been an ongoing conversation for some time. Uh, I don't know, and I've said this publicly, that we've done as good a job as a sport as we could, uh, particularly when, when the climate changed you know, back decades ago and, and moving players more into the forefront of the conversation. I think we've gotten better. I think opportunities like, like, like foul territory are, are part of that equation. Guys are often looking for an opportunity to speak candidly, to talk about the game, and not have to not have to worry about motivations necessarily along the way. And so, when they have an opportunity to do it, you get the types of responses from the guys that you get. Um, being able to have guys talk to guys who have kind of been there, done that, is beneficial. Mm -hmm. Is beneficial. So you don't you don't get a lot of the the cookie cutter responses. You can drill down a little bit deeper uh, and truly talk about the game. Because when you when you you you, you pull back the curtain and you, you hear guys talk about the game, it does get a little romantic, and it is a whole lot of fun to talk about those things, and they are the types of stories, I think, that engage the next generation and excite fans to hear. So the more often we can do that, the better. I, I, we've had guys, this was part of like when we were putting this together, that have said, I'm on autopilot for that post-game interview <laughs> on the field, because I know it's going to be the same three questions from someone going like, how did you feel about this? And, you know, and it's 20 seconds of, oh, we're giving it our all, you know, took a pitch by pitch, and <laughs> but we're better than that. Because we know that we've talked to the guys in the clubhouse or, you know, before the next game, and it's a completely different conversation. Or, like, I mean, what was one of our most viral moments Lance on the show? Lance Lynn's a good example. No, Pete, Pete Alonso. Alonso, the poop story. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things where, look, you're always taught over the course of 162 to never get too high, never get too low. And that's also why I think a lot of the interactions are, are very, very level set and very, very even handed. But again, as you just mentioned, guys are on, on autopilot because you know you got to come to the ballpark the next day. You're going to be facing whoever you're going to face, dealing with whatever you dealt with. And I may have been 0 for 4 today or I may have been 4 for 4 and I've still got to stay here because I got work to do tomorrow. 
So yeah, oftentimes that's a part of the equation, and I don't begrudge guys for I did it a lot when I was an active player, but I think kind of to your point and, and, and to what we're talking about, giving guys another lane that they can run into, that they feel comfortable offering a little bit more when they feel comfortable doing it, I think that's important because over the course of 162, you are going to have those ups and downs and you are going to have moments where, where you're more talkative than you, you, you may not otherwise be because you're in the middle of a three for third, whatever it happens to be. Well, let's chat a little bit more in those times that you're feeling comfortable doing it. What are you thinking? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? Um, and when you, like I said, you sit down with a group of guys that has been there, done that, you can start to peel back layers of stuff that you just don't hear about very often, but do so in an environment where guys feel protected and comfortable doing it, and it's not gonna, it's not gonna put them in a bad spot when they get to the ballpark the next day. And the likability factor, like you said, Lance Lynn, so he had a slow start to the season, and he comes on our show, and he's just like, I fucking suck right now. I'm with <laughs> you people, like, cause he's, he's like, I've done it well for a while. what did he say, fuck my sweeper? Yeah. Like yeah. he was just yeah. going off, and he's like, that's where he feels, that's how he talks, and that's yeah. where he wants to air it out, and everyone's responding going like, I can't be mad. I'm a White Sox fan, I can't be mad. Well, that's who Lance is. Yeah. And you got a chance to see it. Yeah. And it's what's always made him great at what he's done for as long as he's done it. But he felt comfortable enough to offer it here. I just, I tip my hat to him for doing it and I tip my hat to you guys for giving him the platform and uh, an opportunity to do it. Thank you. As a player, I played against you. Yep. Right, when you, for, for a while. Is there a moment, kind of, we're gonna we're gonna let you dig yourself here for a minute, <laughs> all right? People, I think I don't know that people remember that you played and you were a really good player. I appreciate. Is it. Is there any moment in your career that you're like, that was the coolest thing, for me as because we're, we're all team team. Yeah. We want to win. We want to win. But is there a moment you look back and say, man, Tony Clark, that was really cool that I just did, blank. You know, it's interesting, when I think back to some of those times. So, my first game in '95. Coming up with Detroit, Sparky Anderson was the manager. First of all, you couldn't have stood up in Tiger Stadium. There was no room to stand <laughs> you were on, up. You had you to be on your knees. Yeah. He could dugout. barely stand up here. Yeah. Dude, the dugouts, <laughs> to be honest. First of all, the dugouts in Tiger Stadium were like this high. Every bit of it. You hit your head every time. That's why I invited the guy to the party last night that was seven foot five. Every bit of <laughs> so it. So he wasn't going to be the tallest guy. <laughs> coming, out, coming out to the field, knowing I was walking down the, the corridor, that any number of greats did, getting out on the field, knowing I was standing in the box where Al Kaline stood. That first game I played in, in 95 was against the Cleveland Indians. And at that point in time, you guys will remember the mid to late 90s with Cleveland, they were an absolute juggernaut. That night, I got down to first base and Eddie Murray was playing first base. Now. I'm a switch hitter, obviously Eddie was a switch hitter, completely different conversations, but, but a switch hitter nonetheless. I didn't know how to talk to him, <laughs> but I knew I was standing next to Eddie Murray. And so, got down there and it was, it was the only thing I could come up with was, Mr. Murray, how are, you, how are you doing? And ever since that day, it's been Mr. Murray, Mr. Clark, Mr. Murray, Mr. Clark. That same game, Dave Winfield was in, and I grew up watching, watching Dave. So I had an opportunity when Dave got a hit to come down to first base to say hi to Dave Winfield. And so as much as, yeah, first hits, first home runs, winning teams, all of those things were, were neat. Being in the same batter's box on the same field as some of the superheroes that I remember reading about and seeing and growing up with, and then being on the field with some of the guys that I tried to emulate and that I admired, that to me was always one of the coolest dynamics of being a big leaguer, and I was grateful for it as a result. 
That's, so what, I mean, what about your most embarrassing moment? Oh gosh, where to start? Because it's real. <laughs> so so I, I tell this story, this is one of them. I don't, cause I, they, I don't know if I could peck, put them in pecking order because there were so many of them, but, but the, one of them that often stands out to me is we had a, a, a Fox, I think it was a Fox Saturday game at the time, maybe not Fox, I don't want to throw Fox or anybody else under the bus. It was a national game on, on the weekend. And, and I had gotten mic'd up for the game. I'd never gotten mic'd up before. <laughs> that particular game, I booted two balls, punched out three times, it was 0 for 4 with, with three punches. And for me, it was entirely because I had gotten mic'd up during that <laughs> game. And so, ever since then, I have absolutely, I, ever since that game, I refused to get mic'd up because one of the worst games I ever had was with me on uh, having a mic and knowing that everything I said that came out of my mouth, whether I was with somebody or, or, or not with somebody, found its way onto somebody's tape deck somewhere. And I'm still waiting for it to come out. But that was <laughs> one of the most embarrassing games for me that I can recall. We've all been there. <laughs> mic'd up or unmic'd up, we've all been there. Trust <laughs> me. It had nothing to do with the mic. You just sometimes you get, you have, there's days like that. Yeah, but it made me feel better to think it was the mic's fault and not never, me. It's never That's you. Fair. Yeah, it wasn't me. That's it why people say me. baseball right. players are superstitious. Well, not exactly. We just want to have a routine. So that way, if we have a bad day, we say, oh, I messed up my routine. Let's get back to my routine, right. and everything right. will get right because right. the season's so long. It's not really superstitious. It's just mentally it makes us how we – Well, somebody once told me we're, we're not superstitious. We're, we're a little stitious. A little stitious. That's right, yeah. a little stitious. That's right. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, Tony, you were, you're a big dude. How tall are you? 6'7". Six, 6'7". Seven. Six, seven. Oh, it's the same height, I think, as Ellie De La Cruz, who I've talked about a lot on this show. He's not here. No. But – <laughs> I'm, you don't even know what I'm asking. I know what you're going to ask. No, I'm not. I'm not asking oh. what you think. He's going to ask if you this should be bigger, an all no, no, this is a bigger picture question. How okay. do we get more skill sets of Ellie De La Cruz into Major League Baseball? I know that's a loaded question, too. But I worked for the league for a long time, and we'd throw out all kinds of scenarios. But I want to get your perspective on how we can get super freak athletes like him that clearly he would be a good, probably if he grew up in the States, football or basketball player, but instead... He's a baseball player coming from where he's coming from. How, how do we figure that out? Because watching him play yeah. is great for our game. 100%. I think it goes to what story baseball wants to be able to tell. Uh, in other words, we've had conversations too with, with the league about, about two sports stars and, and guys that do have options to play other sports. How do you get them to focus in on baseball? Mm -hmm. well, when you're, you're, you're entering the system a certain way, when the value prop associated when you enter a system is a certain way, without diving too deep into what I believe is a broken development system, that's a whole nother conversation. It depends on what type of story baseball wants to tell to attract those types of players. We get them every now and then, not as often as we would otherwise like, and when you see them, yeah, they jump off the page in a way that's it's tremendous for our game. Um, in, in ways to, to grow it uh, and have it, have it spread. We used to get more of those guys. But again, I, I talked a little bit about this, but as the, as the landscape has changed and shifted, we haven't done, I don't think, all we could do as an industry to engage, breathe into, provide support for, and encourage the next generation of superheroes that are like that. And mm -hmm. look, our, our game is humbling. And I, I, I pray Ellie continues to do what he's doing and continues to grow and develop as a player. Because if he does, we all benefit for it. But the glitz and glamour around some of the opportunities and some of the other sports is, a, is an allure 
to a lot of those top athletes that's hard for baseball to overcome right now with the story that we're telling. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm hopeful that that as, as ne each next Ellie becomes a part of the, the day-to-day conversation, that more and more guys continue to see baseball as, as a, an avenue that they want to explore. Look, I, I, I thought basketball was going to be where I was going. I had back surgery my freshman year. I was just never the same. Let me focus in on baseball and see how this works. I was great, I'm grateful for how things turned out. But if you had forced me at 10, 12, 13, 14 years old to make a choice, I likely would have chose basketball. I wouldn't have chose baseball. And so the story we've got to tell has got to reach down as far down as it can reach down. And the opportunities we got to provide for guys who have that type of skill set needs to be a little bit different, I think, than what we're saying at the moment. Like, how, can we incentivize them? So for example, here's a more recent example. Um, Kyler Murray, right, gets mm. picked in the first round, ends up deciding to be a quarterback, he's making tons of money. He's not one of the top quarterbacks in the league, but he's a starting quarterback in the NFL, and we don't get to see him ever try to be a baseball player, and he's a sick athlete. How can we entice, he looks, he's like, I'm gonna make crazy money right from the jump. Mm. We can't do that here right now. Dudes are under control for six, seven years. And yeah, you can maybe sign an early extension like Julio has done, but how do we get Kyler to be like, hey, give this a shot, even if you do both, and I don't know if that's possible. Mm. Like, what is the answer? Is, th is there incentivization to do that? Well, I, there, we've had a couple guys that have done, done both. Yeah. Um, but they weren't quarterbacks. And the dynamic around the quarterback position, I, I think, is a little more unique than an outfielder or an infielder uh, uh, may otherwise be. Um, but your point is a valid one. And, and creating flexibility incentives in, in the way uh, the structure is, is, is built up and leads to, to you signing, we've proposed flexibility to try to attract more and more of those guys who have those options. They haven't quite landed uh, yet. We're going to continue to propose them and continue to try to engage on them. But that's, that's part of the, what story can we tell to that player to say, hey, you go this route, here are the benefits if you do. A lot of that story has been the longevity of your career. For baseball is often different than the other sports. The idea that when you're done playing, you should be able to stand upright and, and walk away from the game in a way that physically you may not be able to as, as well, or you might not be able to as well in some of the other sports. So that's always been a part of the equation. But when you start talking about opportunity, when you start talking about, about, about financial benefits, the, the dynamic starts to shift a little bit. And so, look, I, I think it's multi-layered, multi-faceted, but I do think there are ways reaching down into the system to engage the next generation of, of superstars in a way that's a little different than, the, than what we do now. I think, I mean, he's teaching me a lot about NIL right now because he's a big college baseball guy. I think it could be helpful, do you? Yeah, but the problem is, yeah, it could be helpful getting kids to play, but football's paying kids in college, and what they see in basketball, what they see is, I can jump right from college where I'm getting paid right to the NFL, right to the NBA, whereas baseball, they're like, man, I still got to grind right, in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they, these kids, like Paul Skeens, he was at LSU, he was making, who knows, we don't know the right. number, it's a big number. Mm -hmm. Then he signs for whatever he's gonna sign for, mm -hmm. and then he goes to minor leagues, he's making 800 bucks a month, and you're like. Well that's, uh, agreed. And, and, and agreed. think about it, and I'm not saying Paul Skeens, probably a bad I'm example. Let's take a, a, a above average yeah. college player, probably making a decent amount at his NIL, whatever it is, 
And then he goes in the minor leagues, doesn't sign for a lot. He's, he's got, and he schleps it for three, four years in the minor leagues. Then he gets to the big leagues, yeah, the minimum is great. But then it takes you three years to get to arbitration, three more years to get to free agency. That's all staying healthy. That, 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 yeah. that is not, it's hard. It, it's hard to look <laughs> at when you're, you can play, if you're a super athlete and you can go, oh, I can go play one year in college basketball, get drafted in the first round and get $40 million off the jump. And or, help your family right away. Yes, that's, and the NFL, same way. Like Kyler Murray's like, okay, I can play minor league baseball or the Cardinals are going to give me $50 million. I'll give back my $2 million to the A's, and I'll take my forty-eight. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a system, but I don't know how we change the system. No, uh, I don't think you're we'll I, I can't disagree with anything that you said, and that's why a lot of, of what we're trying to interject into the system is providing a little more flexibility in that regard. And, and like I say, it, it is, it just depends on what kind of story you want to tell. Look, and, it, and it's not easy, and, and, there's, and I think I mentioned earlier, there's no straight line, meaning you play 100 games in the minor leagues and by 101 you're going to be a big league. It's just, just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But, but, to the extent that you've got some of these other benefits and to the extent you can tell a story from the, out, the, out, the out, uh, outset, the day one, that even if you have to go this route, here's the value proposition on the front end, and if you do end up here, here's what it looks like on the back end, that may be a little different than the story we tell now, yeah, there's value to that. And a lot of what you may recall from the last round of bargaining was trying to move value earlier to guys in their careers. One of those things we had to, we had, again, it's crazy to think that we had to negotiate it, but when you hear about service time manipulation, not only is getting to the minor leagues and trying to get through it a challenge, trying to be in a position where you're not having your service time manipulated, so that you get to, to arbitration and, and the points in time in your, your career where you otherwise could or should as a result of what you've done to that point, we had to negotiate those things in there to try to lessen that likelihood so that when you, you are ready, perhaps there's, it's more likely than not that you do get that call up when you should get that call up as opposed to it being manipulated to try to push out your control longer. So again, th there are conversations and things that have been around for a long time but a lot of what we did was trying to remove some of it such that the next guy in the next conversation sees the system as fairer than it may have been before. Excuse me. One more fan mm -hmm. question, because I promised them I, I would get one in there. We, we have a lot of, uh, there are an above average amount of A's fans in baseball. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll phrase it that way. So um, Sean said, thoughts about, I know we touched on a little bit, but thoughts about the A's abandoning Oakland, one of the most diverse cities with deep roots in black culture, hometown, you know, of Ricky Henderson, Dave Stewart, and naming a bunch of names after that. Well, Stu, Stu has offered comments publicly as well. Uh, I mentioned to somebody the other day, I, I've got family in Sacramento that I often had a chance to see that I very rarely had a chance to see when I came through and, and, and played in Oakland. Um, it's disheartening to see what we're seeing and the effect that it's having on the community there. Um, Obviously, we as, 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 as players and as a, a, a union, we're a part of the conversation, not a part of the relocation, not a part of the decisions necessarily that are being made, but we have a formal seat at the table that, that, that stems from what's going on. But the idea that a team may very well be, it hasn't happened yet, but may yes, very well be leaving way. Oakland uh, and going to a market that's smaller is an interesting one. Uh, the idea that one of the most, you, you have a headline that suggests you're concerned about diversity and inclusion,
but then you're removing yourself, perhaps, from a, 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 a community that is as diverse as any in this. It, it's concerning. And I know the fans there, uh, we feel for them, the players that are there who are grinding every day amid the chaos that's out of their control as well, uh, is something that, that we, we stay connected to and are concerned about. But uh, as I've said privately, I'll say publicly, whatever's going to happen there needs to happen sooner rather than later because it's, it's a conversation that's been ongoing now for as long as I can remember. That, that we need some conclusion to to try to move forward from. I, I just wish it didn't and wasn't manifesting itself in the way that it is right now. Yeah, yeah, we have players on that are like in group chats, right, with like a lot of the former players, because they had a great run recently as a team too with like yep. Olsen and Chapman and all those guys, and they text about it, Bassett's been on with us, yep. so it's great to get your take. Thanks for swinging by, good to oh, see oh, you. No, before no, you go, thanks, just thanks for having quick, me. Quick answer, is yeah. the game in a better place now than when you took over? I think we're moving in a better direction now than when, when we were back in the day. And I, I say that in large part because our players are remarkably gifted. I'd like some folks and some decision makers to get out of the way and let us do what our players are capable of doing. Um, but we're better today than we were yesterday and I'm hopeful that we'll be better tomorrow. I truly do. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. Love that. Thank you, Tony. Great yeah. to see you. No, appreciate you. Thanks Enjoy for the game me. tonight. Thanks for me. Appreciate it. Tony Clark with us. We'll swing right back on FT Live in a minute from Seattle at MLB Players House. Hey, FT Live fam. If you're new to the party on the BetMGM Sports app, enter the promo code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for up to $1,000 back if your first bet loses. It's simple. Ready? Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gotta use the bonus code, Foul. 